but I'm, I'm eager for the weather to change. I, to, again, I was thinking about the fact that it's still in the 90s, thinking, did somebody not get the memo that it's October? Like, I'm, I'm ready for winter. I'm ready to jump right past the PSL straight into the peppermint mocha. I'm, I'm ready for winter, you know? Um, and uh, I was just thinking about about winter and, and how, how much I, I love the snow and eager to get up to do some snowboarding with my kids. I'm already kind of trying to plan out a little time after Christmas to at least get in a day or two of some snowboarding. But I was thinking about the first time I took my kids snowboarding. Anybody ever been up to the High Sierras to a place called Dodge Ridge, north of Sonoma? A few of us, right? It's a little known, one of these little places, but it's way up there. And uh, uh, this was 10 years ago, the first time I got to take my, my boys snowboarding. We went up there, and this place was a winter wonderland. I mean, it was like three miles where you're driving through these, these roads where it's 100-foot-tall pine trees all covered with snow. I mean, it's perfect, right? And we got to the place, and the first day, uh, the boys did lessons, and that was awesome, because that meant the dad got to get out and get some boarding in. And uh, the second day, they told me that the lesson would have to be in the afternoon, um, but they also let me know, hey, your, your son Toby, who was, I think, seven at the time, he's ready for chair six. Your other son, Noah, uh, he might not quite be ready for chair six. But anyway, the next morning, I had the boys, and I figured, well, I've got both of them, and they did say might about Noah, might not be ready. So I figured, we'll just go for it. So I, I loved it. I mean, to get in line with my boys the very first time in their lives that they were ever going to be going boarding, and the first time to get on a real chairlift, I mean, those moments are amazing as a parent, any which way you do them. But I, my, I had two of them, and Noah definitely needed some help, so I, I sent Toby on ahead. And he got on that lift, and all by himself, very first time, right on, riding up the chairlift. He's turning around, looking at me, hey, Dad. And we're waving back and forth. And I just tell him at the top, go for it. Go ahead. Go for it. And so he gets off and straps up really quickly and just begins to go down the hill like, like I didn't even exist anymore. It's like a foreshadowing of things that would happen 10 years later now. Anyway, he, he's just going down that hill. And, and I'm, I'm with my other son, Noah, who's two years younger. I think he's around around five at that time, and uh, he's, he's working at it, but he's really having a tough time, and he's kind of crying a little bit, and, and, um, but I, I kind of help him, and we're going together. We get to the bottom, and I'm looking for, for Toby, and he's nowhere to be seen, and he's my seven-year-old son at the time, and we're in the middle of what feels like nowhere, and I'm looking around. I'm asking people in the lines, hey, have you seen a, a little boy? Looks kind of like him, but a little older, and no, I'm asking the lift operator. No one's seen him. I'm kind of getting concerned now, but then Noah starts tugging on my leg going, Daddy, I really have to pee. I'm like, now? Really? While we're on a mad chase for your brother? And, and the, the lodge was like another whole run further down, and I couldn't go all the way down there, so I just kind of picked him up with his snowboard, carried him over to this side, and he made his mark on the high Sierras right there by the side of the trail. Nobody, nobody got hurt. It's fine. Uh, and then... 
uh, we, I figured, well, maybe Toby got back on the lift and went back to the top. Maybe he's waiting for us up there. And so we, we got back on the lift and went to the top, and I'm looking around at the top, and there's no boy waiting for any dad, and especially not my boy waiting for me. And, and so now I'm really worried. I mean, there are all these weird little cabins off in the woods, and I'm imagining the worst scenarios, you know, and, and I'm going, no, we got to go now. We got to go. He's like, dad, I can't. I mean, he can barely make it. And, and I'm like, just go. You got to go. Your brother's lost, you know, and we, we're going down the hill. He's crying, and we get to the bottom, and there's a, there crowds of people waiting at the lift, and I'm shouting out, Toby, 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 nowhere to be seen. I'm asking strangers. I'm asking ski instructors. I'm, I'm running up to people. I'm going, excuse me. I'm random little children, and I'm like turning them around. Nope, you know, <laughs> nope, not that one. And, and I'm, re- I'm, I'm about to lose it because uh, I, I'm supposed to be responsibly taking care of the boys, and one of them is completely lost at this point. And, and so I just I take Noah, and I unstrap his feet from his little snowboard, and I take my snowboard off. I pick up the snowboards. I pick him up in the other arm, and I literally just start running down the rest of the trail to where the main lodge was going to be. I'm screaming the whole way, Toby, Toby. And then finally we get right to where the lodge is and he's sitting right there in the snow next to the stairs going up to the lodge. Where have you been? (laughs) Man, I'll never forget that moment. And I'll never forget the way it felt as a dad in that moment. Because in that moment, when my son was lost, I would have done anything to find him and get him back. I would have done anything. And I want you to just open up the Bible right now to Luke chapter 15. And as you're turning there, the reason I want you to turn here to Luke chapter 15 is because it's a moment where something like that kind of feeling, I think, was on Jesus' heart. And I want us to understand the heart of God related to all of us who sometimes are that, that lost son or daughter. And, and I want us to have a sense of what his heart is to find the one uh, that's, that's lost. And so turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 1, and this is God's word. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what'll he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, He'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know, something about this passage of scripture, it's just, you know, seven verses we read through pretty quickly, but one of the things that strikes me is the simple fact that there was something about Jesus that, that made people who were very much not religious at all want to be around him. 
Don't you kind of like that about Jesus? There's something about Jesus that made people who were not religious at all want to be around him. And I guess the first thought that crosses my mind is, is there anything about me and the way I'm living that somebody who is not religious at all would, would want to be around me? You know, sometimes it's worth asking the simple questions, but I see that in the ministry of Jesus, that there's just something about him that people who are far from God and not religious at all wanted to be around him. But what I noticed in verse one, let's just go back there actually to verse one, it said that tax collectors, well, actually, why don't you read this out loud with me from the screen, ready, go. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is the other thing that I notice about Jesus and his ministry, is that Jesus led a ministry in which he created an environment that people who were not religious and were not walking that you know, holy spiritual life could come and would want to come and be able to hear from him and take in what his perspective would be. I think that's, that's gotta give you and me a clue as to what we kinda oughta be like as a group of followers of Jesus. That there needs to be a way in which we say, you know what, seems like in the ministry of Jesus, part of what he did, part of what he did was to sit with the religious leaders and religious people, yes, but another part of what he did was to create environments like this where very non-religious people wanted to come and be near him and hear what he would say. And that, I believe, is meant to be a characteristic of a good Jesus church. To have an environment where the, the, the non-religious people are like, hey, I, I, like, I don't really get it all, but I really want to be there. I want to hear what, what has to be learned from the scriptures. I want to hear from Jesus. So Jesus is telling a, a story. And I, and I love this, too, about Jesus, that Jesus could have seen the perspective of the, the people, and he could have brought a holy smackdown on them, you know, for how unloving they, their attitudes were. He could have done that. But what I appreciate is that Jesus acted with, with such grace in this moment. And instead of bringing some kind of a holy smackdown to the religious people, instead, in this moment, he brought a story. Just a simple parable, an analogy. And the analogy he uses is the one uh, we just read, and it's about sheep and shepherd. And the point, I hope you see the big picture, the point, well, let's, let's revisit it so that we can make it in our minds together. It said, uh, Jesus' story says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, this is verse 4, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Everyone say, the one. Won't he go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, as I've found my lost sheep. It's just an analogy, but it's an analogy that I believe Jesus is choosing on purpose to reveal a value of the kingdom 
And, and the analogy is that there's a shepherd and sheep, and for a shepherd, the sheep are the most important thing ever. And so important that if one of them is lost, he's going to unrelentingly go after that sheep until he finds it. And I think that this is just simply a picture of how Jesus sees every single one of us, the way a shepherd would see his sheep as the most valuable thing, way more valuable than any building or than any project or than any event, the people. And Jesus looks at you and me that way. And if you can think about it, there was probably a time, if you are a believer, there was probably a time in your life when you were the one. You, you were far from God, you had your guilt, you had your shame, you were stuck, you were empty, and he came running, and he came for you with his goodness and his mercy and his love, and, and many of us have a story, something like that, where we can remember that season of our lives where we were the one, and we, we might as well have been thought of as that lost sheep, but he doesn't leave us that way. Jesus looks at the one who is far from him and doesn't have his hope, his love, his power, is living in an emptiness and ultimately headed for hell and says, I don't leave people that way. I'm coming for you with my mercy. I'm coming for you with my outstretched hand of rescue. This is what the shepherd does for that one sheep. And I believe that the analogy Jesus is using is using because he wants you and me as now the religious people most of us anyway, to keep that in mind, that that really is still his heart. It absolutely is still the heart of Jesus, that wherever there is the one, that the Jesus mission is about going after the one. When, when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, he put it to Zacchaeus like this in Luke 19.10. He said, this is my mission. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Let's read this out loud all together. Ready, go. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is Jesus saying, if you really want to know what I'm about, it's there. Yeah. This is it. This is the height of it. And so for you and me to be followers of Jesus, at some point, we need to line up behind him on this to say, all right, I know I pretty much care a lot about me and myself and I, but my Jesus, and he cares for the one, and I need to also. I'm made to be a part of that Jesus mission, and you and I get to do that together. That's what he's done in drawing together a thing called the church, is to bring together his very own people who would be about that. This is his idea, that we wouldn't be in it just for ourselves and whatever comfort we could receive and whatever blessing we could receive and whatever empowerment we could receive, although all of those things are very real and excellent, but that we would ultimately come to a place of saying, I get it, Jesus. You, you, you have us together on assignment to see that the one who is alone and afraid and stuck and trapped and oppressed and hurting and headed for hell or going through hell right now, that I'm going to join you on your mission to see them rescued. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do through you and me. It's the mission he's called us to. And so for you and I, as a church, I mean, we, we express our mission the way you heard uh, Heather say it just a few minutes ago, that we're here to love and lead people to a life-changing connection with Christ. But at the heart of it, it's, it's the Jesus mission. 
That's what it is. And it's what we're doing together. It's why we exist. And I love to hear the stories of, of how it, it is happening. And uh, a, a, little, a little while ago, I got a, an, a message from one sister in our church that it just, from time to time, I, I get these kinds of messages, and I am so grateful to hear them. But I want to share this one with you. Uh, she messaged me. Her name is Dana. And she said, I wanted to tell you how Centerpoint has brought me so much peace and comfort over the last two years. I moved from San Diego to Murrieta, and I wanted somewhere that I could make a home church for my, uh, my new community. And not long after moving, I drove past Centerpoint and got an overflow of emotions of God telling me this is where I belonged and where I would find the community I needed this time. So the next week, I started coming to Centerpoint. And then she explained in detail about a difficult medical uh, circumstance and, and surgery that came up in her life and how she was in recovery and couldn't uh, actually make it to the weekend services, but she described that they would watch, or she was watching services online at home. And then she said, in the process of all of this, the most amazing thing happened. My husband, after listening to you speak from the TV in the family room, told me that he wanted to go to church with me when I was well enough to go, and he did. He'd never gone to church before. After the second time of him going, he dedicated his life to Christ, and our lives have never been the same. Yeah. Last weekend, when you talked about how it's never too late for anyone to make things right, I saw a tear run down my husband's cheek because he felt that that message was for him and that he was home too. Thanks so much to the church for all the love that you have given to our community. I'm so blessed to have come to Centerpoint. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's amazing. I love that kind of a testimony. I love that, I love that together we've embraced this simple notion that, that part of the Jesus mission includes, like we saw in Luke 15, creating environments where people who are not very religious at all right now could, could come and could want to experience something of the goodness of Jesus. Thanks for being that kind of church that desires to do that, to see lots of stories like Dana's to continue to unfold. I just thank God for the, the, the massive impact that that brings. And that's just one story, but let me tell you something. We, we just celebrated our uh, CP celebration a couple of weeks ago, and that's when we look back at the year that has just gone by, and we celebrate whatever God has done. And one of the details that I got to share uh, was the number of people who've come to know Jesus. And I'll share this with you, this one detail. Over the last year, there have been 701 people who have made a decision to follow Jesus in these weekend services. That's amazing and miraculous. And even if for some of those people, there's a, maybe it's a, a repeat or a rededication, I, I thank God that he's on the move to bring people to himself. But he's using you to do it because we're creating an environment where people who really maybe aren't walking with Jesus could, could come and discover his goodness and his mercy. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 4, it says this. It says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one body, and you're a part of it. There's one capital C church and capital B 
body of Christ all over the planet. And we heard about part of it over in East Asia, but we're a part of it right here. And God in his wisdom, he gathers us together in micro communities, individual churches, each with a calling from God to live out that Jesus mission together. And we're doing it. We're seeing God do something that I believe is absolutely miraculous. And, and I'm grateful to see it. And, and so All for the One is, is, is about that continuing. All for the One is about recognizing that we have an opportunity to do our all, to see the one, one after again, one after another, come into that life-changing connection with Christ. And I want to urge you to never grow tired of seeing that happen, of being a part of how it happens, of being the church that would say, let's do that together, because it's what we're made for. So if I could just summarize, all for the one, it is vision, first and foremost. And what I'm believing God for is that over the next 10 years, we'd be able to see 10,000 people come to know Jesus and be able to receive his mercy and his grace. I'm believing God for that. I thought maybe somebody might say amen because that's something worth praying for, worth shooting for, worth going after, the mission of Jesus being lived out. And that has implications. Part of the implication is if that, if that happens, We'll need more room here. And so about a year ago, I introduced this, uh, this part of the picture to you. Uh, our vision is about reaching people, but that vision includes a project of expanding our space here. And so very specifically, what I shared with you is this, is that we're going to, uh, and we have a couple of pictures of these things, but we're going to take this building and we're going to expand it in the front and on the side. Uh, and as we expand it, on the front and the side, we'll add in uh, about 540 additional seats on, on risers, kind of going up in the back. That is practically what we've been talking about doing. I had hoped that by now, we would already have construction underway right there. I want to share with you that I feel that we've had uh, an interesting season of hitting roadblocks as we've tried to proceed with this project. It has taken a, a lot longer than we have ever experienced in the past. And I wonder if maybe that's because I have failed to ask you to pray with me for breakthrough. You know, back in the day before we had this building, man, we got together and we gathered on the dirt and we prayed at night in, in the dark and, and put up a little fire and walked around because it, was, it felt desperate. Maybe this time it doesn't feel desperate to us because, ah, we already have a building. It's just some extra space. But I have failed to help, help you see that the vision is still desperate, and it does still require, I do believe God is still calling us to be those who would pray. I also want to share with you that there's a financial aspect of this kind of a vision. Just like when you buy your house, and you plunk down $400,000 or whatever it ends up costing, and that's a big deal. But you don't think of it in terms of just for one moment. You think about it, well, yeah, for 30 years, this is where we're going to live. And that makes sense of it. And so when we talk about expanding this building, and it does cost multiple millions of dollars, it just does. But you take that and you, you spread that over 30 years because you know that that's, you're not talking about something for one moment in time. You're talking about multiple decades of impact that keeps on going. But I want to share with you that we, we all rallied together and said, yes, we're going to do it, all for the one. And we, we made commitments about here 
And what's actually been happening is that as we've been responding, some of us have been really faithful, like, yes, giving faithfully. But some of us just maybe haven't felt compelled to or whatever. But there's about a 14% gap right now, which maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal to you. But to to the guy kind of out front trying to say, God, I'm believing you for this, it's a big deal. And so I'm going to ask you, uh, if you, if you have been waiting to do your part financially, to make this the season that you'd do it, that you'd say to yourself, man, I, I love my church. I want to see it thrive. I don't know why I've been holding off, but maybe now is the season for you to be one of those who would say, I'm going to do what I can to advance this cause. It's part of what needs to happen. I also want to ask all of us to pray together. And, and maybe it's just that we haven't prayed together enough over this vision, and God is looking to see us uh, lean in to his presence together and believe him for breakthrough. So I think maybe we should do that tonight. We should ask God to, to, to move uh, in, in this project for, for breakthrough. Here's in particular what I would ask you to pray for, that you'd pray that this, the city would approve our conditional use permit amendment. That has been the single biggest hang-up, and it's taken at least six months longer than any of us would have thought. And, and I want us to pray that God would really move to allow that to, uh, to be accomplished. And then the second thing would be that uh, all of us together would just decide, man, I, I'd go take my family to the movies and drop a hundred bucks and not even think about it. How come I wouldn't want to honor God with my, my tithe? and see the house of the Lord be able to advance in its mission. The follow-up to that, though, is for any of you who have been giving faithfully, I deeply thank you for that. Uh, there's no way we could have even <laughs> done as much as we have already if it weren't for, uh, for you moving faithfully in that. So let's take a moment and pray now over this together. Let's lean in to the presence of God and ask for his touch on this all-for-the-one vision and and the progress that's needed. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for just that simple moment where Jesus welcomed people who were far from, far from God, not very religious at all, just wanted to be near. And I ask God you'd allow Centerpoint to always be that kind of a church so that there would be an opportunity for lots of people who are that one right now to receive your mercy and your grace. So God, we want to pray over the, the vision of all for the one, of reaching that one again and again. God, would you give us hearts to be about that in every way we can, creating an environment where that could be likely and going out into our community where that would be accomplished. So God, we pray for that. First and foremost, that you'd give us hearts like that to be on the Jesus mission in our valley just whisper your prayer to him right now. Just say, God, give me more of, more of that kind of heart for the one. Just ask him, God, give me a heart for the one to care for those who right now are hurting, broken, alone, lost, in need of your love and your power. Ask God to give you a heart for them. Now, would you pray with me for this project that's just part of the All for the One vision? It seems to be hitting so many roadblocks right now. Would you lift your voice and pray, God, make a way. Come in, somebody lift your voice. God, make a way. Be a church that prays. Lift your voice. God, make a way. 
God, make a way. God, make a way. Would you allow us to receive the permit that we need to continue? God, would you give us the permit? We're asking for it. And God, would you stir up, uh, for some of us, great financial blessings that our business would take off like never before. And we'd be able to say, hey, I can do something big. I can help. God, I pray that you'd help others of us to, uh, to find the work we need, to close a deal that we need so we can do what we had hoped we could do uh, in All for the One. Lord, thank you for your provision to us. And we honor you with it in a thing like this. But most of all, Lord, we pray for lots of testimonies in years to come we speak prophetically even over years to come and stories like Dana's multiplied literally by the thousands of, of ones who are just receiving the mercy and love and grace of Jesus again and again and we got to be a part of it we believe you for that Lord for that one in Jesus name Amen